Welcome to the Book Evangelist podcast, here to spread the good news that books and reading will save us all. Lissa and Marion will be talking about what's up in their reading and writing lives, reviewing recent reads, urging each other onto writing triumph, and generally wallowing in the pleasure of hanging out with a friend who loves books. Join us, wallow with us. This is episode 18, in which we'll be discussing the NPR's best books of 2020 book concierge selections, particularly books we wish we'd read in 2020. Good morning, Marion. Good morning, Lissa. <sighs> Are you as tired <sighs> as I am? Yes, <laughs> probably. Yeah, seems like you come off the end of NaNoWriMo in November and then you launch straight into holiday preps. And I, as you know, I'm a compulsive baker, so I just launch straight into fun with sugar. I mean, it's good timing right like it's literally december 1st at the end of nanowrimo and then you that's just correct go for it just boom yes but so it's how's possible. your baking going uh, it's, it's going pretty well actually there's there's always this moment of panic when i have this fear that in the 12 month gap between when i make certain things that i've forgotten how to make them um like candied orange peel is one there's yes Candied orange peel is A, delicious, and B, it's temperamental because if you don't make it right, it doesn't gel properly. And then if you get it too hot, you'll torch it. And I have done those things many times, but I've discovered that there's like a particular temperature that I need the sugar to reach and a particular number of times I need to blanch the orange rinds and stuff like that. And then I can never, I'm never quite sure the first time I make it in December that I, I remember what those things are. And if I were to write them down, that would really help, but I'm not super organized. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know you have some special things you make as well, don't you? Um, yes. I um, Here's a funny story. I used the mixer that you gave me to mix up my Brieslay dough, um, which is like you need it because it takes five cups of flour and you need that sort of machine to help you. Um, and then I put the mixer away and then like I went and got it and mixed up three more batches of Brieslay dough <laughs> and put them more realistically in my fridge and freezer so that I could just keep making those cookies whenever I want. Um, so I, I was pretty hilarious in that I believed that the first week of December I was like done making Christmas cookies and then I just am well into all the other Christmas cookies now and I feel much happier about the world. But but think how strong your, your biceps are getting lifting that big heavy mixer onto and off of the counter. So, yeah, they are. I've seen some people who have like swing out things that swing your, your mixer out and up. And I'm like, I don't trust that at all. It just seems like a way that a mixer would fall on you. It does. It does. And my toes think about that. And my toes are like, don't even think, Mary. No. Don't trust. So, yeah. 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 But yeah, I do kind of think it through before I lift it. Like, okay, <laughs> am, I, am I centered? Am I, do I have a good am grip? I, am I lifting from the knees? Use, yes. your, use your legs. Yes, that's the one because it's a nice big heavy mixer. So. Yes. Um, and I made carrot cookies um, the day after my sister made them. And she had texted me and said, oh, the recipe for the icing isn't in the, the cookbook of Nana's that I'm using. Can oh. you tell me how to make the frosting? 
Um, so I looked and um, in my head, I almost just texted her back to say, well, you just mix these things together and then you add um, powdered sugar until you've added enough. Yeah. And then when I looked it up in the recipe book that my Nana wrote out, it, it says you mix these things together and then you add powdered sugar until you've added enough. <laughs> there you go. And That's I was a like, Nana yes. recipe for sure. I totally yes. remembered that one. <laughs> so I sent her a picture so she would believe me that I had told her the, the truth. Excellent. Those are some good cookies. So they are. Yes, they're good. Yes, I had uh, yesterday was caramel day here, uh, which is is always an excitement uh, because they need to be stirred for like 40 minutes. And, um, you know, my my poor broken down hands and elbow really struggle for that. So yeah, uh, my beloved spouse deputized himself to stir it, but I had to give him lots of advice and watch over him and be a terrible nag because I didn't, you know, he's not stirring correctly and stuff like that. But um, he has it coming, I guess. You know, he's an engineer. So like if you try to paint a door, he'll come up and give you advice on how to paint the door better or how your technique could be improved because he can't help himself. So I guess this is payback for all those many times when uh, he's corrected my non-engineering soul. It seems very reasonable to hang out and support each other on your projects. Right. However, right. that ends up manifesting. <laughs> well, the caramels turned out great. So clearly, either he has more talent than I suspected or my nagging was effective. So The world may never know. The world will never know. We'll just eat the caramels. So we've talked about our, you know, sort of nano rewards, which is making cookies. Making cookies. Um, how was your NaNoWriMo? Uh, pretty good, I guess. Um, I got my 50,000 words and after I got my 50,000 words, I just quit like halfway through a paragraph. <laughs> so, and wrote up some notes about things I needed to remember if I ever go back to, to rewrite this or, or rework it, which is something I tend to do at the end of NaNoWriMo, I'll say, cause I never like done, done the, the end, done, done with a book, but I write out like things that need to happen or things to remember to look at or ways that this could be improved or what I should have done. Um, and in this particular case, I had a really clear understanding of how the structure of the book needs to be different. Um, if I go back and look at it again and, and rewrite it, uh, yeah, structurally, I have a really clear understanding now that I didn't when I started, which is excellent. How was yours? Well, first off, that is excellent. Like to, to, to in a month, get like a better understanding about <laughs> yeah. structure of something. It's kind of amazing. Um, mine turned out, um, I mean, like super sketchy first draft, but I was really excited and pleased by it. Um, I um, completely, thanks to you, ended up <laughs> writing a... Um, <laughs> Like book inspired by Ernest Hemingway's uh, *Movable Feast*, um, and focused on structure this year. Um, so I like, but I mean, it actually had nothing to do with Hemingway per se, um, which was nice. But I took the structure of that memoir and started my nano novel with, um, like introductions and letters from future relatives who were editing and publishing the manuscript later. 
from a cool. point in the future, reassuring the reader that, of course, they'd heard the story before and they knew some of the background, but that this was going to reveal things nobody had heard before because this had this was the first time they could tell this part of the story. And everybody already knows how it all turns out, so this will just go back and fill in some details. Um, so with that in mind, I actually wrote my whole story, which is in space on a journey, um, like, and never actually talk about what happens at the end because in the whole story it's assumed that everybody knows how it turns out right like Ernest Hemingway you know how that turned out for him so right and so I actually didn't even fill in um because there were a group of people um like sort of an ensemble cast and I don't actually fill in how their lives all turn out either because the as I got closer to 50,000 words I realized I didn't have to um, because one, I was going to hit 50,000 words and be able to stop. And two, right at the beginning, I said, everybody knows how well this turned out. Everybody knows how well everybody's career went. Um, so I just didn't. So it's been really interesting in my brain because um, I ended the book at a place where they had decided to solve the problem together. <laughs> and then I stopped. And so I've been mulling over in my own mind since November what it was they did and how they might have done it and how their lives might have turned out. Not because I want to go back and write that part, but because I'm really satisfied with having it not written. It sounds to me like I love the kind of white space filling in yourself, but also if you ever wanted to write a sequel, you could write about their glorious solving of the problem. So mm, Maybe. Maybe. It was nice but, yeah. to not have to solve say- the problem. One thing I was really proud of you for, Lissa, and I want the world yes. to know, is that you wrote the same novel all month. I really did. And, and furthermore, on top of that, you finished two days early. I did. It's amazing. It I mean, kind as of lo- was. As long as I've known you, you have never <laughs> stuck with the same things. novel all the way through November, and you're always like... You know, ten thirty at night on the thirtieth, you're you're polishing this off. You know, and I was really yeah. worried about you this year because you had some points in time where you didn't write for several days in a row, and you I had a lot of points in time where I was ten thousand cat- words behind. Yeah. yeah, 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 or more. And I was like, no, listen, no. So, um, overall, did you did you feel like this year was like what was different about it for you than? Oh, like it was impossibly hard to write alone in my house and not be able to go somewhere to write. Yeah, that was what was different. Right. You're a Um, municipal liaison, so you're always at write-ins and things like that. Yeah, and I'm used to that accountability. But even on top Mm -hmm. of that, what I realized partway in was I really can't write alone in my house. So I made up this thing I called Fake Cafe. Where I put on, um, <laughs> I made the temperature just like a little bit too cold. And I made the um, stereo just like a little bit too loud with like music I didn't know the words of. And um, and I made the coffee and the tea just a little bit too hot. And then I tried to write. And that went way better. Um, because all those other things were like kind of annoying. And that somehow helped me. Yeah, if, if it works, it works. You know? I, you know, I myself traditionally listen to like um, video game soundtracks while I write because yeah. they're like, they have a real forward drive to them. So if you, if you feel like you're keeping pace with it, then you have to be extra speedy fast. I, I really missed those write-ins too. I'm 
a big, big proponent of going to the events for NaNoWriMo. Yes. I think it really helps. Weirdly sitting in a room with other people who are doing the same task but aren't talking to you gets yeah. me a ton of words. Gets me a ton of words. And I always, um, over here where I live, we have a, a, a marathon kickoff on the first day. And then I sometimes go to be where you are for this mid-month, 12-hour writing marathon. And I go to, you know, Tuesday night things and Sunday things and, and so forth where people write together and I get a boatload of words that way. And this year, I did not have a day that was like a massive word day. I had some really good really good days. I got over 3,000 words, I think twice, but I did not have an 8,000 word day or 10,000 word day. Like I almost always have. And it was weird. Uh, you know, I was ahead of the game the whole time because that's how I am. And I finished in on Thanksgiving, so in 25 days, but I don't think it's ever taken me 25 days before. It always takes me like 23 yeah. uh, max. And, and I, I tried really hard to uh, to attend things and connect with people as best I could because I find that works pretty well. I was um, glad to see you. Yeah, but it was it was weird not to not to go to anything in person. Um, but I did feel like the events online I went to like ones with you gave me that that feel those things that that were there helped it feel the same as it has in the past too. So it's probably less painful for me than it was for you because I'm more used to writing by myself to begin with. So um, I did really like the online events compared to writing by myself. Yeah. I don't think I liked them compared to being able to write together in person, but I liked them compared to writing by myself. That like peer pressure of um, in 15 minutes, literally people who are live on this chat with me are going to ask what my word count is. <laughs> it was like exactly the right kind of pressure that we've always had. Um, yeah. It wasn't new this year. It was just virtually, but. It, it was, was something that I, that I did do this year that was new is that I did some of the word crawls, which somebody on our uh, NaNoWriMo Facebook chat area recommended these word crawls and I had never done one before and they kind of felt the same to me as that. They would say, go and do, you know, you have 15 minutes to write this many words or um, roll a die and write 100 times whatever it, it says and whatever. And that kind of felt that kind of challenging aspect to it. Yeah, and when I went, yeah, and when I went to some of the virtual write-ins with you, um, I was working on those, so I had people to to war against a little bit, and that was nice um, as well. So that was kind of different and weird, and I will probably use those again. They were nice. Um, yeah, I looked at, I worked on one for a little while, but then I, any time that I could just get lost in the writing, I would give up on the word crawl and just keep going. Because so. <laughs> um, I was by myself, and I was like, yeah, what else? Um, yeah, but going. if I got stuck, then I went back to it and tried to do the next thing. Yeah. So, it was so another successful, if slightly unusual year in which yes. we, we did some stuff. Hooray. Yay. Oh, but you know what we've not been doing? Reading books. Reading books. <laughs> All year. It's been just terrible. So, yeah. Oh, but the, the NPR book concierge list is going to save us. Maybe. Yes, maybe. 
this is our plan. This is our plan. Um, so the uh, book concierge list, unlike a like strict best of list or um, a voting thing, um, is NPR's annual interactive year-end reading guide. You can mix and match tags to filter results and find the book that's perfect for you. Uh, the books are selected by NPR um, going to their staffers and trusted critics and asking them to nominate their favorite books. And then the editors sit down with a huge spreadsheet and select favorites, resolve duplications, note omissions, and also give everything some subject-ish tags so that you can do the mixing and matching on the cool visual interactive site. Marion, you suggested that we use this for the basis today. Why? I, I did because I have really been struggling to read for pleasure this year. Uh, up to the point that I've had to like put timers on myself and say, you're going to just read for 20 minutes and, and wait for those books to carry me away. And I've been just really struggling. And I miss reading a lot of books. And I know that, that you and lots of other people have had the same problem. So given that I've had a lousy year for reading books, um, I thought, think of all the good books that I missed. And um, NPR tends to be my new source of choice, but I love the book Concierge. It's full of interesting stuff, some of which I've heard of and some of which I haven't. And I, so I thought, you know, let's take a look at what we would have read if we had had a good reading year. And maybe we can use this as a jumping off point for things we choose to read together in the future. Yes, I liked that idea too. So when I looked at the list, um, well, either way, when I looked at the list, I actually found several books I'd read and then several books I um, bought, but didn't read. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. several books I started, but didn't get very far in yet. Yeah, I I had the same. I have when I saw that you had put a list here of like books that you've bought, but not read. I'm like, okay, I own a couple of these, too. Uh, So I put them down because I still, you know, want to read them. I just haven't gotten it done yet. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. Yes. And, it, okay. and there were lots of things that were new to me that I thought sounded interesting. So. Where do we start? Do you want to want to start first? or? I mean, I'll start with the easy ones, which are the two that I read. <laughs> okay. Or the two that I bought and read. Um And I've probably actually mentioned both of them on the podcast already, so I don't have to go into detail on them. But uh, The Last Impro by John Scalzi was the conclusion of his interdependency series, and it was just totally delivered in a beautiful way. Um, And I loved it. And um, Upright Women Wanted by Sarah Gailey um, is like queer librarians on horseback in an alternative Western America. I, I, I think that we discussed that book. Yeah, um, it's one of the few on the list that I've also read, and I have not read the last Emperor because, as you know, I'm just getting into John Scalzi, and this is the last in a series, and I have not read the series yet. I've not read. Oh it, yeah, you but... can't go to the end one. No. Yeah. Yes. It would not make sense at all. <laughs> would not make sense. Um, I, to, I, I hope to get there. If you decide you still like Scalzi, you also don't have to like John Scalzi. We can still I, be friends. No, I decided I was thinking like somebody asked me about books I had read this year that transported me in the way that you hope that a book will that you just you know, couldn't put it down or it just dominated your thoughts and I thought and thought thought but suddenly occurred to me oh it was Scalzi that's what it was because I read uh, Old Man's War 
And then mm-hmm. I got um, Agent to the Stars and just, bam, read that too. So those those books really were the single greatest uh, immersive reading experience I had this year. So I'm on board. Thank you, John Scalzi, for being awesome. Yeah, he's good for that. He is. And I actually follow him on Twitter so I can look at his cats and burritos. So, But that's also, he's also good for those things. Yes. Um, I also read the book Every Reason We Shouldn't um, by Sarah Fujimura, which is totally a teen romance about Olympic level ice skaters um, because it was just a lovely escape read. Sounds great to me. I I did. There were other books I think I had read on there, but I didn't write them down. So, you know, you can't expect me to be organized. But oh, no. I did. I did have a couple books that are on this list that I have bet bought but not read oh yes um one is the splendid and the vile a saga of churchill family in defiance during the blitz by eric larson uh which is a big you know non-fiction or narrative non-fiction i think we call it you know eric larson uh has written lots of really awesome books including the devil in the white city which I have never finished because I was reading it at night and it was too scary for me. <gasps> me too, me too. <laughs> to read it and I'm like, ah, like love I was me. doing the audio book and it was just oh my gosh, deal. Oh, so scary. Yes, well, I mean, I love the parts about the White City, you know, the, the yes. Chicago World's Fair and kind of landscape architecture and how you put that together. But the devil parts with the mass murderer who's melting... Uh, factory worker girls from mm-hmm. the country and lie and it's based on like no 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 so he's obviously a really terrific writer and because i like um, english history and he's a wonderful writer i'm sure that the splendid in the vile is going to be an awesome book for me to read it's right over here on my bookshelf and i bought it uh kind of mid-year when i was trying to give money to businesses to help them stay in business. Uh, and this was Barnes and Noble. And the another book I bought the same day that I have not yet read is The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel, which, um, you know, I love Station Eleven by her. You do. Oh, such a terrific book. I've bought so many copies of it because I keep giving them away and then I have to buy another one. Uh, I must be on four or five copies of it now. So I'm probably supporting her being single-handed. So this is another book I just really long to read, but I've been in such a funk that I don't want to pick it up and not be ready to read it. Yeah. You know, I want to do right by it. So, yeah. Yeah. So those are two that I have bought, but not read yet. But I mean. Well, I would honestly read either or both of those with you. Um, mine that I have bought but not read yet. Um, I bought The City We Became, which is the new novel by N.K. Jemison. Um, and I loaned it out uh, to a friend who was like, who we were talking because he had just discovered N.K. Jemison and was all excited. Um, but then he brought it back unread because it was the first in a series and he doesn't read series till they're done. Um, <gasps> Such strength of I, character. I know, right? I was like, oh, that's... <laughs> It's nice to, like, know yourself that well. Um, I didn't start reading it because it came out and arrived right during the pandemic spike in New York. And simply the idea of reading the words New York a lot sounded really stressful. Yeah. And so I just set it on the shelf really nicely. 
and I just kind of pet it sometimes when I walk by. Um, <laughs> and I bought um, Harrow the Ninth uh, by Tamsin Muir, um, which is a sequel to Gideon the Ninth. Um, and I kind of want to reread Gideon, but I loaned it out before the pandemic and um, now I never run into those coworkers, and so I need to track them down to get it back. Um, but um, Gideon the Ninth was both hilarious and mm, bizarre it, yeah. and wonderful. And so I think everything I've read about Harrow the Ninth says that it's about Harrow processing her trauma from the first book. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like both like really excited because the first book was great. But also when I think about everything that happened in the first book, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not just not quite ready for that. Yeah. And so. if, if they are interconnected like that, it makes sense to go back and remind yourself of the first one and what happened in it before you you launch. Right, and it's safer to reread the first one because I already know what happened in it, yeah. and I know how funny it was, and then I'll be psyched up for the second one. Okay. Is my plan. That's your plan. Um, and then I um, have Weather by Jenny Offill, um, and it's, like, about a librarian, but also about, like, death or something. And I just – I look at the back, and then I just put it back on the shelf. Yeah. Not a great year for, for death books. Or, like, yeah, serious yeah. Books that I don't know. Serious books, and, and I will say, there's a lot of of books on the system. Like I really want to read that. And when I was looking at the concierge list, I thought maybe that's too asking too much of me. And the city we became is one of those. I was going to say I looked at it, and I've heard nothing but great things about it. I kind of know what it's about. And Kate Jemison is like a modern master. And I thought, oh, it sounds so. I don't want to say hard, but. Um, mm-hmm effortful um in terms of what it requires of the reader that i don't maybe i need to ease my way in through the shallow waters <laughs> again <laughs> before i'm i'm ready to to go big yeah uh, so that's the thing yeah um but i had a bunch that i also like started but didn't get very far um i have access to advanced reader copies sometimes because of my work in a library and um but some of the ones that I started, I looked up on my phone to see, like, what percentage I got to on them. Um, and Loathe at First Sight um, is a romance-ish, I think. Um, but it's a, a female computer programmer production person um, in a company. I don't know. And I think the romance is with, like, the boss's nephew or something. Um I don't know. I think in books, a lot of times this year, I got to the part where it was obviously this was going to be a romance and here are the people involved. And then I just stopped. <laughs> so that one I got to 16%. And then the book, The Roommate by Rosie Dannon. Um, I had I had read most of Beth O'Leary's The Flat Share last year, which turned out to be about like sort of like psychological abuse at some point. Um, and so I was worried this would be similar. So I already went into it like a little weirded out. But then it turns out that The Roommate is a porn star. And so I only made it 8% in that one. And I was like, oh, I'm just not ready for this. So I tried to read some contemporary romance and just like super failed. Yes. Uh, you see you have a couple of others here on your list. Um, I tried to read Glass Hotel, but like every time I open the first page, it's like solid poetry. And usually when I've been reading ebooks, it's been like I woke up in the middle of the night and can't fall back asleep, which yeah. is not the right environment to read Emily St. John yep. Mandelin ever. Yep. Um, 
the Midnight Bargain is like a fantasy regency, but then it's about uh, parental leave and uh, like birth control. And I just don't you get know, past the I, first page. You know, I think I saw that one on the concierge list and then it was talking about what it's really about. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I and the, the first page, the they're doing magic. Regency part. And, yeah, yeah, I think it, I realized I really like my Regency romances without magic. Um, well, I, I like the concept that she was like, you're supposed to, if you're a woman, you're supposed to like give up your magic in order to conform to the feminine role in Regency time, which I thought was an interesting concept. But then I got dressed. I'm like, nope. I don't know about that one. I'm not in the right headspace for that. Maybe awesome, but I'm just not in the right headspace for it. Yeah. Like to me, I was like, no, no, I need my Regency romance to be a place I can just go escape and read a Regency romance. Yeah. So yeah. just, just, they're supposed to be, you know, candy. Yes. I needed to keep it candy. Um, and then the opposite of candy, um, way before Me and White Supremacy was a published book, it was like a downloadable workbook that you could. Oh. download and subscribe to a podcast like last year sometime. Um, so I had it printed out on my kitchen counter and I would like look at it sometimes. Um, but this is not really a good excuse, but like it's a lot of work to yep. work through and actually think through all the things. And that one in particular isn't a, like read this and go to a book club and discuss it and keep thinking and talking about it like as you go through it has you stop to do the reflection and thinking so I don't get very far before I feel overwhelmed and I keep coming yeah. back to it well, like, say, I bought it I have it but, but you know Lisa it's particularly this year there's like so much mental heavy lifting to do anyway with the pandemic and the, the efforts we're all making toward things like the the Black Lives Matter movement and being mindful and and owning the place that you're at and the things you need to work on that at any book that adds anything else to me on my to-do list for mental work is hard it is hard i'm gonna keep doing it it's yeah. good and hard sure um but but you know it, it, i get you that it can take you like two years to do two months yeah. worth of effort, i think i'm probably on the two-year plan for that book. Yeah. Which yep. honestly means I need to buckle down again because I'm getting close to my two-year <laughs> mark. <laughs> um, but some of that hard work too, like sometimes my kids are here and sometimes they're not. Uh -huh. And I do that hard work a lot better when they're not. Like yep. so like on a, on a rotating cycle, like about once a month, I can really focus on projects. So things just don't happen quickly right now. Yep. So then we have all these books that we looked at and thought, oh, that looks super fun. I wish I, we had read that. Yeah. Um, or I had read that. Yeah. Uh, which we have some, I looked over your list and I'm like, oh yeah, I would read that. I would read that. So, and I don't know that we overlap too much here. So do you want to start and or just trade back and forth on books on our list? Yes. I will pick off a couple that I don't think you actually probably want to read or that we don't probably what? want to discuss here. I know, okay. right? Um, right? So Slippery Creatures by K.J. Charles. Um, when I read the description, I was like, oh, World War One!" I've been reading tons of World War One stuff in my classics book club where we read stuff from roughly 100 years ago because it's all set between the wars. And um, then it got to the part of like, um, it's a detective novel. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. And then I got to the part where it was like, and don't forget, it's great because there's hot sex. And I was like, 
maybe we won't read that one for like <laughs> podcast. Um, but it was like it's like a queer um, World War One mystery novel, yeah. our post World War One mystery novel. Um, and it looks delightful. Um, and yeah. certainly the person who recommended it was very enthusiastic about it. Um, but I think like maybe like less hot sex on the podcast for discussion yeah. would be there, okay. There's a podcast for that, but this is not this podcast. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then maybe we would want to read Beach Read by Emily Henry. I don't know. Um, somebody recommended it to me uh, right before Nano, and it's about writers with writer's block. And I was like, <laughs> I read part of the description. I was like, no, no, look away. Don't like don't jinx yourself daily like not a thing um so but that one looked sort of fun and interesting for a non-november kind of delightful time uh, what are a couple on your list um that i don't think that we should read here maybe um oh gosh beowulf a new translation oh. uh by maria devana hadley uh is probably yes. not a book that you would love the way that i'm pretty sure i'm gonna love it um, something I have not mentioned here is that I won a hundred dollar gift card to my local independent bookstore. So I know it's so exciting. So I've been thinking about books that I would buy and, um, a book that is not on the concierge list, but that I, that I would have bought with this gift card is, uh, Anne Marie's Avery's, Anne Marie Avery's Reynard the Fox, which is a retelling of mm. the medieval Flemish folk tales. And I'm a big fan of hers, but I just bought it from Blackwell's in England and had them ship it to me because um, it was as cheap as buying it here and is signed. So that's sitting under my, my tree waiting for Christmas. But so I'll probably will instead buy, among other things, Beowulf, a new translation by Maria Devana Hadley. I love Beowulf and I am such a nerd that I keep a copy of the Seamus Haney translation of Beowulf like in my office or next to my bed all the time. Uh, and this new translation looks like it's going to be a, a tear down the patriarchy version, which is kind of awesome because Beowulf is such a, you know, we're all manly men together. Let's give each other rings and drink beer and kill the monster type thing. And this, I think that she has some concepts of like how women have been conflated with being monsters when they behave in certain ways historically. And this mm -hmm. translation is kind of informed by that feminist viewpoint. And I'm really looking forward to it. So, but I don't know that you would really love that book as much as I'm probably really going to love that book. Um, and if I were picking another one off my list that I don't know that you would really love, um, gosh, it might, be the human cosmos civilization and the stars which is a, like a non-fiction book about our relationship to the stars and and how they have brought meaning to us culturally over history um i tend to read a lot more like non-fiction books than you do um yeah yeah then that's by joe marchant so that might be them, but I think that sounds awesome. Those both sound awesome for you. And I agree. Yes, they absolutely. do not sound awesome to me. The bailiff <laughs> sounds vaguely, vaguely interesting, but I feel like I would have to do so much catch up work to, to get how this was new, that it would yeah. be less fun. And much more like a graduate level course. <laughs> yes, probably. probably. Well, after I read it, I'll let you know. Excellent. 
Um, what are some on your list that you do think it would be fun to read and discuss here? Uh, I have A Castle in the Clouds by Kirsten Gear, translated by Romy Fursland. And it is a, sounds like more of a romp. Like the, it's probably, sounds like the most fun of all the books on my list. And it is about a 17-year-old high school dropout that's interning at this picturesque hotel in the Alps. And it has an international cast and lots of backstories and a mystery. And it's supposed to be um, funny and dramatic and have a good, satisfying conclusion to it and be a kind of a happy book. And I thought that I would enjoy that. And when I first saw the title, The Castle in the Clouds, it reminded me of a book that I read in, shall we say, 1983-ish, um, The Castle in the Air, which was a heist book. <laughs> you know, I love Ooh. heist books. So maybe it got an extra, like, happy point in my heart because it reminded me of this completely other different book. And uh, you which just I hoped remember. it would be a heist book. Yeah, I'm like, oh, look, yeah. I, so I hoped it would be, a, it has a castle, it has the clouds, and you know, whatever. So that sounded super fun to me. And um, yeah, that does sound fun. How about you? What you got? Um, let me look. Um, okay, so I uh, really got excited. I had never heard of the book Interior Chinatown, a novel uh, by Charles yes. Yu. And um, I cannot find the description of it now. Oh, here it is. Um, it says it's written partly like a screenplay and takes mm -hmm. the idea that we're all at the center of our own movie, literally. Uh, you're never quite sure whether Willis Wu really works as an actor playing, quote, generic Asian man, but it ultimately doesn't matter. Charles Yu plays with how we internalize stereotypes in the movies um, in this sometimes devastating, sometimes hilarious, but always captivating novel. Um, and I read another description of it that talked about it. Um, it's either shortlisted for the National Book Award. Or I think it won, won it. the I think National won Book it, Award. Won the National Book Award. I've heard some things about this too, interestingly enough, on NPR. And it does sound super interesting and challenging. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yes. And I think I, I have a copy of Charles Yu's first book, How to Live Safely in a Science Fiction Universe, somewhere in my house. But I have not read it because it, I think it came out after I had kids and some things just haven't happened in that decade since That's then. funny how that happens. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So that's one where I like walk by and I kind of like pet pet it and <laughs> hope that someday we can spend time together and come as far as we are. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, I suspected from whatever I read about this in the other review I read or description I read that it had like playing around with like narrators and how characters are in stories. And, you know, I just super love all the things like that. So um, I really like the concept of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to look to see what else is on my list. Um, well, the book Heart of Junk, I'd also never heard of before. Um, and I probably looked at closer because the description talked about it being about an antique mall in Kansas. Yeah. Um, and then it talked about like going in depth about the sort of quirky characters who interact in this antique mall. And anyway, those things sounded interesting to me, um, like books that get a lot into characters. And then I tried to read in 
um, this whole like narrative of found family that may or may not actually exist in that book since I've not read it. But man, it seemed like it could happen there as they all work yeah. together to try to save the place. I read the uh, I read the description of that one too. I'm like, oh look, an antique small in Kansas. I've been in more than one of those. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I can't remember why I didn't put it on my list. I was, it might have scared me too. I think that's like an overriding theme here is like books that terrify me. Um, as, yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm worried about uh, my lame uh, reading dry spell here. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and like, I like want to have like feelings of happiness and escapism yeah. and like no other feelings. So when I read That's the me. description, <laughs> I'm like, hmm, where hmm. are we at here? Yeah. Um, on, on the on the less happy front, but one that I thought that I would be interested in and I thought you might be interested in uh, yeah. is Why Fish Don't Exist, A Story of Lost Love and Hidden Order of Life by Lulu Miller. Uh, because yes, uh, Lulu Miller was the founder of the Invisibilia podcast on NPR and used to be its host, but it says it weaves together personal memoir and scientific history to ask questions about how we maintain optimism in the face of adversity and find order amid chaos. And since you, it reminded me of Glennon Doyle in a way, oh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. of whom I know you are a big fan. So I thought, uh, who knows, maybe that would be a, a book that would be page turnery enough for me as a narrative nonfiction book and uh, meaningful on the personal growth front for you. Yeah, uh, I would but, consider that one. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I think I looked at the cover and it said fish and then it said loss and I just stopped <laughs> reading the cover after that. But <laughs> your description makes it sound much more interesting, which is why Book Concierge is so good. Because it, it lets is. you refilter your first impressions of things. It says there's a murder mystery and also fish. Actually, there aren't fish, says Ari Shapiro. So There aren't fish. It says there either are or are not fish in this book, but maybe also a murder mystery. So. That sounds, see, this is helping. <laughs> Who knows? And then, like I said, I don't know. It, I was like, on the one hand, it sounds like a super heavy duty book. And on the other hand, Ari Shapiro assures me that it's a page turnering, awesome, fun read. So I don't even know. So that's right. How do you decide without reading wild, it first to see? You don't know. Wild Card Central. I don't know how big it is, though. You know, it could be an absolute doorstop for all I know. I'll have to check it out. I mean, people don't usually words like, use words like fun for giant books. Yeah. But you listen. could, um, the concierge list has a thing for like giant books. You could click it to does. see if it's there. It has like long books and short books. Yeah. So that was kind of awesome. Uh, a lot of the books I've bought but haven't read are on that long book list. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I noticed. I was trying to think. Uh, I think maybe you should uh, hit me up with another one here, Alyssa. All right, I was coughing. Let okay. me look. I was trying to, I was kind of like, like suss out, like how many books does Lissa have left on her list versus me and blah, blah, blah. But you know. Oh, I don't know. Um, I put The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue on my list. Um, I It's on my phone and I keep looking at page one. Um, I don't think it's my kind of book and that's what I keep coming back to. But then today when I looked at the description, it used the word meta. And that's like my keyword. And so then, then I was more interested. Um, so, and it's by V.E. Schwab, who I read a, 
about a lot. Like she comes up on social media things a lot. And so then. Have you ever read a book by V.E. Schwab? No. No. I have read a couple of the. um, Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Got right out of my head about this set of alternate Londons. There's a red one, the gray one, which we live in, and the black one, and people who can travel. I read about them. them, and I decided that I didn't understand London enough to, like, get it. Yeah, it's, it doesn't matter that it's London, oh. um, I think. And, um, but what's interesting to me is I think The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue is an adult book, and it may be V.E. Schwab's maybe first adult book. She wrote a children's book last year, and all the rest are YA, I think, but I could yeah. be wrong about that. Um, she's a, an excellent writer. I looked at this book too and was wishy-washy about it. It has a, a muse in it and Addie LaRue is a muse, but people forget her at the end. And then she meets somebody who, who doesn't forget her. And that sounded very romancy to me, that part. You finally meet the boy who can't forget you. And that, yeah. that was why I didn't put it on my list because I thought, I bet this is a kissing book. Yeah. So, but who knows? Maybe it's not. It's been really well received and it's a very pretty book to look at as well. <laughs> so, I mean, that matters. Yeah, it we're does. Gonna, like pick them up. They need to, to attract us to them so that we want to find out their words and their stories. That's right. <sighs> so uh, I don't know about that one. Yeah. I uh, need my, to like read more reviews about it maybe to like find something else to hook me. Yeah. Um, and then we read Alex E. Harrow's first book on this podcast, um, The 10,000 Doors of January. And um, her second book, The Once and Future Wish- Witches, um, I like was really excited about. And then like I stopped reading anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's really the only reason like yeah. that I didn't it's, it's, buy it and read it on day one was yeah, because I stopped being excited about anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, you know, like I said, just this slump, big slump. It's a really pretty to look at book. And I like some of the concept that I remember behind it, this concept of like Salem witches or um, magic and women is like a, a thing that, that's, that draws me. And I loved her first book. And, and so I'm perfectly happy to give that one a, a shot. Yeah. And then I got excited when I read the description this time, because it talked about it being maybe set during the suffrage movement. Yeah. Um, or including that, um, because a thing I have been doing for the last year is uh, joining the League of Women Voters mm-hmm. and uh, attending their monthly educational programs as part of my job and writing up little web articles about them. So I suddenly have paid a lot more attention to issues around the suffrage movement. Um, and so now that was a lot more interesting to me than it would have been a year ago. There you go. So that's that's a maybe. Yeah, it's um, a firm maybe. Yeah. On my list, I have The Space Between Worlds uh, by Micaiah, maybe, Johnson. And it's a nice, good sci-fi travel between worlds book. Uh, So uh, I thought you might like it. But interesting, this is a book I own but didn't buy. I won. I I won, I won, is all Mary never says. You won, I won. I won a prize of some books from Penguin Random House right before the world shut down. Mm-hmm. And so then Penguin Random House was shut down, so nobody was in the office to send anybody anything. But a couple weeks ago, 
maybe this box of books appeared on my doorstep uh, with lots of big, fancy uh, Penguin Random House books in it, including The Space Between Worlds. And um, it has the multiverse is real and travel between worlds is possible, but landing in a world where the version of you is alive will kill you on arrival. Consequently, the wealthy and powerful who want to plunder alternate worlds of resources and information need the most marginal people to do their dirty work for them. Only those whose existence is a small miracle can traverse effectively. Enter Kara, one of the best traversers, because in over 300 worlds, versions of her are only alive in eight. An absolutely stunning thriller, queer and fierce and smart, think Fury Road meets Orphan Black, says Amal El Motar. So, uh, I mean, I'm that. not a Fury Road, whatever no. you just said. Or no, but, <laughs> but person. El Motar tells you to read something, you read it, Lisa. I know, but that sounds interesting. And if we read it for podcasts, there would be like a built-in support network if it was real scary. Yeah, there would. And I do worry about the scariness part. Uh, but on the other hand, I already have it here, so I don't have to go get it. That's true. <laughs> and so, I can read it during the daytime, and that would be less scary. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't say, like, do the rich and powerful hire you to go and murder themselves in that other world? That's what I want to know. Is that the dirty work? Right? That what do you do, do is, in the dirty work? Yeah. Is offing, you, offing yourself in that other world so that you can then go to it without harm to yourself? Yeah, I would totally read that. Yeah. So I was interested in that. And another one is A Game of Fox and Squirrels by Jen Reese, which is a middle grade book. Ooh. I like middle grade books and foxes. Yeah. And it's and it's also pretty. Uh, it's a magical realist upper middle grade book. Uh, and as it happens, coming out in February, I have kind of a magical realist upper middle grade book with you animals. You do. Uh, so that kind of led me to kind of be interested in it. Um, and... Yeah, it's one of those, one thing I worry about it is it's one of those um, children who are orphaned and have to go live with their aunt and then meet creatures that may or may not be real thing. Yeah. Um, uh, it says, if Jumanji were a game you played not for escape, but for, for but for possession of your very soul, it would be the game of fox and squirrels, ages hmm. 10 to 14. So it can't be too scary and it won't be bloody at all if it's for ages 10 to 14, but it could be uh, thrilling and um like that so yeah that was another, i would try that yeah so yeah and it should, should be a, a pretty quick read sounds good uh, yeah and i have uh, three more books on my list how many were you okay got? um i have no idea <laughs> um one two three. Oh, oh, oh. nice so we could uh, switch back and forth here you go first um well i have um Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close, um, which is a um, like a memoir between two friends, but also about close friendships. Um, and then actually, I think not exactly related, but it's also like a self-helpy kind of one. Uh, Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times by Catherine May looks really interesting and extremely timely and also uh, has a long waiting list at my library and is on back order if you try to buy wow. it. So I was like, mm. you know, like, apparently I, everybody thinks that looks good right now. Or, you know, it could also weirdly be, I had told you I had bought Reynard the Fox and it was faster for me to buy it in England where it was already published than to wait for, to get it here. Cause you can't get it. Yeah. And one reason is that there's paper shortages so that oh. 
which is something I know because I have this book coming out in February, yeah. is that they're worried about the publishing people are worried about getting in physical copies of it because there's a paper shortage and they're having trouble printing enough copies of things. That's just kind of like the way the pandemic overlaps everything, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, because that paper would take a lot of supply chains to get. Yeah, to get to get all the way into yeah. a finished book. So, so it could be. I'm sure it's wonderful, but it also could be that it's a, a book that they didn't order a jillion copies of to start with. Right. Um, not, not knowing how people would need rest and retreat in difficult times. Yes. And now there's a paper shortage, so they're running behind fulfilling it. But For could sure. just also because it's awesome. Because people need all the love and care they can get. They do. So I don't know if either of those are good for podcasting, but I feel like they would be good for my soul. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. What else is on your list? Uh, I have Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Big shocker there. Uh, this <laughs> is, this is, <laughs> yeah. I know it's like, oh, this is going to just, I'm marrying you. This is, um, William Shakespeare had a son named Hamnet in real life. And Hamnet died when he was, I think, 12 years old. And so this is about the death of, of Hamnet and I think has a lot of kind of his mother's point of view, like what it is to be this woman who loses this child and you've got this husband who's gone all the time. Um, but also there's in real life like a connection between the death of Hamnet and the writing of the play Hamlet, which is oh. probably Shakespeare's greatest play. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's it been very well received. And uh, Mary Louise Kelly from All Things Considered said her book club just keeps wanting to read it over and over again instead of switching books. <laughs> and uh, uh, since it's a beautiful love story and the writing is gorgeous, uh, she says she often reads it through tears. So it might be a, a tearjerker. But it's on it's on my list of, of books that I knew was coming out and that I was excited to have coming out and then that I have not read. Um, yeah. I'm less excited about crying. Yeah, I know. And that's one of the reasons I've kind of put it off. So I'm like, this is going to be a, a tearjerker. And weirdly, if it, if it were not a Shakespeare book, I don't know that I would be as interested in reading it as I am because I'm bonkers about Shakespeare books. Yeah. Uh, as you know. But usually I don't read family drama books very much. I don't like seek out, I don't know what even they are, you know, the Prince of Tides or whatever. I don't go and look those books out that are tearjerker, jerker, family dramas, human interaction books. I like explosions um, and or laughs, you know, yeah. or I want to be charm. I want you to charm my socks off. Um so I'm sure it'll be pretty heavy duty for me, but I will probably read it anyway because it's a Shakespeare book. Yeah, you have uh, to be loyal to your fandom sometimes. You do, and it, it's yeah. And I'm I'm going into that read with a stacked deck as far as understanding the backstory goes already. Um, yes, uh, and the other two that I have on my list are both graphic novels because Ooh. I have been thinking maybe I wanted to read more graphic novels and. The two that I wrote down here that are graphic novels are Glass Town, The Imaginary World of the Brontes by Isabel Greenberg, uh, which is 
you know, the, the Bronte siblings being raised out there in the middle of Nowheresville, Yorkshire, and making up these imaginary places for each other and telling each other stories about that. And uh, the daughters of, it's Y-S, so is it Is? The Daughters of Is by M.T. Anderson, illustrated by Joe Rio, which is a um, a folk tale about a city that swept out to sea and... Um, it does have some sex in it and stuff like that, so maybe not for little children. But um, visually, it it said the, the character design and the visuals reference like 5th century Anglo-Saxon art, oh. which uh, the movie The the Book of Kells, uh, which is an animated feature, it, it has that same look about it, and I just love to watch um, Kells, right? Yeah, uh, as a movie because it's so gorgeous to look at. And uh, I really love that. It falls into my kind of historical junky things. So I thought those two <laughs> graphic novels looked like eh, yeah. So I thought they uh, looked like like the right like good good graphic novels that I would enjoy. Uh, so that was my other two. That's excellent. I would maybe try Glass Town. Um, before I knew it was a graphic novel, I was trying to imagine what kind of like academic thing had snuck in here. But um, <laughs> in my house, we have spent a lot of the last year lost in imaginary world. And so um, it, may, it would make me maybe uh, more optimistic about how much time we've spent in our imaginations if I mapped us onto successful-ish writers like the Brontes, but then added some, I don't know, happiness to our yeah. version. I, I looked on my uh, my library's website and at least as an ebook, I did not find it. I have not looked it up to see if they have it in physical form yet, but I wouldn't mind buying it either uh, because it looks interesting to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, the only other one on my list right now is The Journey of Trees, a story about forests, people, and the future. Um, it just seemed, I don't know, like a science book that would, um, get me outside more thinking, um, and possibly, uh, personify the trees as I take walks and, um, help me think about them as part of my community. Cause I take a lot of walks by myself and it's super boring. So really that was my thinking was like, oh, I could like tell the trees about it. I mean, not out loud. I'm not going to talk out loud to the trees while I walk, but it's okay to talk out um, loud to the trees, brother tree and sister twig. You know, you gotta, right? I would know more about the them though. Yeah. That sounds good uh, too. Anyway, it seemed interesting and um, and interesting different ways. I like books when they reframe the everyday world around me that I take for granted um, and make me think about it completely differently. So um, Trees on a Journey seemed interesting. Excellent. It's interesting to me how many kind of heavy-duty or nonfiction books we have, have listed here between the two of us, um, considering that we have both said repeatedly that we we're interested in... Um, happy books where bad things don't happen to people. <laughs> I mean, that's true. That's true. Um, maybe there's some safety in nonfiction, though. Like it has happened or it is research-based or it is, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. But like less people... plot twists or yeah. less emotional tugs or... Yeah, but I was going to say, but the, the, sometimes the people that you meet in nonfiction books can, can pull at you really hard uh 
as well. It's true. Uh, when they're when they're really well written nonfiction books, which clearly these all are, or they would not have made it on the NPR concierge list to begin with. I'm sure that every book on that list is worthy of of your reading if it's your kind of book. Or at least trying. Maybe I'll get right. more percentages in than I have on some of those yeah. other ones. D- dip the toes in. I have DNF'd a lot of books this year too. Um, I just will pick them up and put them down, pick them up and put them down. I, right now I'm reading a book I've promised to send to you, but it had, needs to make it through everybody in my house first. And uh, I am, uh, uh, which is Sigil and Ink. Uh, oh yeah. And I, I am enjoying it. I just can't sit down and read it but I'm liking it especially I'm surprised considering I've not read any other books in the series and it's like a spin-off of other books I have not read apparently but I don't feel like I need to have read those other books to read it so excellent so what do you want to read for next time now that we have well, like talked about all the books well we might have to do some negotiating do you have a do you have a favorite or one you want to jump in with I mean, I kind of want to read The Splinted in the Vile. <laughs> I'm willing. I mean, I have it sitting here on my shelf, so there's nothing stopping us, or at least nothing stopping me. <laughs> I mean, my my thinking on that is like, um, I'm going to totally binge listen to uh, Doomsday Book by Connie Willis. And sure it's going to take Christmas. place in those times. And then I'll probably re-listen to Blackout and All Clear, which also take place um, in in the, Blitz, in the Blitz, and then I'll totally be in the mood to like learn okay. some real things, so that all my what? knowledge of the Blitz isn't from time travel sci-fi. <laughs> well, I I am willing because it's sitting right here, and it's been like a like a, a a black mark on my book that I own this book and I have not read it. So I'm willing to go with the Splendid in the Vile. Yeah, I mean, um, even with my sketchy reasoning, is that still okay? Sure, sure. Okay. Unless, and if it gets super scary which I doubt that it will because I don't think there's any mass murderers in it, then we can discuss that at that time or discuss why we didn't finish it because it has totally scary mass murderers in it. I but don't I'm sure think it that it has mass murderers. Um, and I, I read Eric Larson's um, Dead Wake. Yeah. And that one, like I never would have read otherwise, but somebody did it um, like as a reading challenge. Um, and like that one, the whole time you were like, you knew what was going to happen. <laughs> and yet he made it really interesting. So. There you go. So I feel like I feel like I have trust in this author now Um, and knowing that the subject is not a serial killer. I feel comfortable with it. Okay, no one in this book is going to build a custom built hotel to whack on 400 people or something like that and do awful, awful things to them. I assume the NPR reviewers would have mentioned that if it was like a surprise (laughs) twist. I'm just so happy that you couldn't read The Devil in the White City either because it was so good. But I'm just like oh. too scared to read it because right at bedtime I couldn't. And it was it. like I'm for work it. and like people oh, yeah. that I like were coming to talk about it. And I was like, yeah, I tried to just skip some parts. Um, what happened there? No, don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, it was too much. Whew. Okay, so The Splendid in the Vile. The Splendid in the Vile. Eric Larson. All yes. Right. It's perfect. Excellent. And then we can look at yeah. this and, and make more plans for the future and, and yes. uh, add as other new books come out for 2021. Yes. It will be amazing. Woo-hoo. And we'll be reading. Yay. <sighs> and next time you can update us on how your book launch is going. Do you have any updates for now? Uh, I ha- It has a pre-order button on Amazon, which is pretty oh, well, exciting, that's exciting for me for the ebook. Uh, and I have seen the proofs of the paperback and the hardcover and uh, like that. 
So, yeah. you know, it's going to be like a real thing. It's, it's kind of weird to be launching a book when no one can come to the launch. Yes. Um, so we're having a virtual launch and uh, stuff like that. And it's, I have like plans on how I can get people if you, cause usually people you don't want a signed book or whatever. So right. I think I'm going to order some book plate stickers that I can sign my name to and send you one. If you, if you have a book, I can send you a sticker to stick in it. So that's a great way to do it. You never have to touch my germ laden, uh, plaguey, plaguey self. And you can also have a signature. That sounds like an amazing workaround and very practical. Very practical. Yes. Excellent. Well, I'm excited to hear how your book launch progresses. And um, yeah, it's exciting. I'm excited for you, friend. I'm too. And I'm just like, I've been taking a very laid back attitude of saying, hey, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do that. Anytime anybody asks me anything. um, Yeah. Because I've been doing that, I figure the way things are, who knows what the future holds in any day. Let's just do this thing. So yeah. that's what I've been operating under. So you have that to look forward to. And we have the splendid and the vile, the vile. to look yep. forward to. Yep. yep. Um, so our future will hold that. It will be amazing. Yes, I, I can feel that book looking at me right between the shoulder blades because it's right behind me on my bookshelf. So I know it's sitting there thinking about time, Marianne, about mm-hmm. time. There's a there's a so. sort of like a light beaming down from the ceiling um, just over it right now. There is. There is. There is. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you for listening to the Book Evangelist podcast. Please remember to listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Send us your comments and, of course, your book recommendations at thebookevangelists at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.